So that's what he's saying. He says that you need Allah's clemency a lot more when you obey Him than when you disobey Him. Okay, why don't you need it when you disobey Him? You've done a sin. Well, after that, you do need forgiveness. That's another attribute. You need His forgiveness. Uh, you need his patience there as well. You need his uh, hilm as well. But usually what happens is this is, again, not speaking about somebody who's constantly doing bad deeds, that he's become so used to them. They've become second nature. They become his personality. They become him. He doesn't care. It's second nature. He just does it. They just keep doing it. It's become them. That's their personality now. That's their behavior. That's the way they function. It's become ingrained. He's not talking to that person. That person definitely needs a lot of hilm. But we're talking about people on the path who are concerned when they do end up committing a sin. A person who's concerned, if they do end up committing a sin, they're going to be broken. That's the person he's comparing it with. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillah was salatu was salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa salama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd. Alhamdulillah we've reached uh, page 105. It's wisdom number 132 today, which is on page 105 of the book. This is what he says Ibn Ata'illah al Iskandari. Rahimahullah is saying, Anta ila hilmihi ida ata'tahu ahwaju minka ila hilmihi ida asaitahu. Very interesting. Anta ila hilmihi ida ata'tahu ahwaju minka ila hilmihi ida asaitahu. You are more in need in his forbearance, which means you need his forbearance. And his patience with you, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's, you need that much more when you obey him. When you obey Allah, you need his forbearance and his patience a lot more than when you disobey him. How does that even make any sense? You're obeying him, you're disobeying him. When you obey him, you actually need his sabr, his hilm, his clemency, his forbearance. And his restraint a lot more than you need it when you obey him. When you disobey him actually. Does that mean that you're better off disobeying him? No. Remember when these statements are made, they are, this is not for a common folk who misunderstand this and then say, okay, if I need his patience more when I obey him, then I'd rather just disobey him because that seems to be better. This is for people on the path. These are for people who are serious, who've understood Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, to, a certain, you know, uh, uh, to a certain level. And they want to refine their worship. They're just making refinements now. They're already on the path to worship. So what exactly does this mean? It's rather confusing for a lot of people. What he's saying is that when, you, when you're obeying him, then you need to be much more careful and you need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You, you need to focus on his... Uh, on his hilm and his forbearance. Hilm essentially means somebody who's got a lot of restraint and who's got, who kind of, uh, who, who has restraint, clemency, forbearance, that somebody who doesn't have that, they will just judge you straight away. 
and then they'll punish you or they'll respond to you straight away. A person with clemency or forbearance is somebody who understands that people make mistakes, they're more tolerant, they take it more easy with you, they give you a chance. That's what the Halim is. The one who is Halim, that's why a hadith of the Prophet says, La Halima illa dhu atharatin. The one who slipped before is usually going to be the one who has some clemency. If you've never slipped before and you're a perfectionist in everything, then if anybody makes a mistake, you're, you're going to be really, really frustrated. Whereas if you've made mistakes before and you've had experience with the way things work, then you're probably going to understand much better what other people are going through. You're going to have a bit more empathy, a bit more restraint, and a bit more forbearance. That's what you call Halim. And Allah is the ultimate Halim. He's got people who disobey Him, uh, reject Him, deny Him, blaspheme Him, violate, and He still gives them. He's got a lot of restraint. He's got a lot of restraint. So that's what you call Halim. And he's saying that you need that characteristic of Allah, uh, of hilm and of forbearance, when you're obeying Him more than when you're disobeying Him. That doesn't make disobeying better than obeying. It's just that when you obey, then you need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attribute of hilm to come in, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to be there uh, to receive that obedience. Why? So. The, the simple thing is this. Uh, it, in other words, when you obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you do any act of obedience, uh, this kind of ties in slightly with uh, what we've been speaking about for the last few sessions, but it's different. Uh, in those, it was that when you do an obedience, you're looking for reward. And he set us aright by saying that um, you doing a good deed you should already recognize that Allah considered you worthy of doing the good deed. So what, what kind of reward are you looking for? Uh, it's already a reward that He chose you to do the good deed, right? Now, if we get across all of that, there's another problem that comes out. Shaitan doesn't want us to do good deeds. He doesn't want us to, he wants us to do bad deeds. If we overcome that, uh, overcome Shaitan, we actually do the good deed or abstain from the bad deed, then he comes in and attacks in another way. He'll try to corrupt the good deed that we've done. How do you corrupt a good deed? We made salat. Well, there's a special shaitan designated for salat. There's one for wudu as well that causes doubts and confusions in that. So what shaitan wants to do essentially is to spoil the good deed that we have, for, uh, we have uh, mashallah, overcome the shaitan to do. So one of the big things that happens, and you know, tell me if that's an experience, that when you start doing good deeds, especially at the beginning, and we're from a circle of people who don't do good deeds, then you feel very uh, proud of it. There shouldn't be any problem with that, really. Alhamdulillah, I did the good deed. These guys, they don't do the good deed. I'm better than him. What's his issue? I'm superior to him. Right. Look how bad this guy is. At least I pray. So there's a level of showing off and boasting that takes place with good deeds. Unless you know that that's going to be an issue. So then you say, no, I'm not going to show off in this. When you've read Ibn Ata'illah, when you've read all of these guidances, 
that at the end of the day, he's the one who chose me worthy. Just thank you, Allah. But why should I show off about that? There's nothing to show off. I couldn't have done it without him considering me worthy anyway. So this is another clarification that stop looking for rewards because you've already got your reward. And number two, stop showing off. You can't show off. You have no right to show off. At the end of the day, it's Allah who's allowing you to do this anyway. So now can you see that if we do a good deed, if you do a good deed and uh, you then start showing off and you start feeling conceited and you start feeling self-elevated, then that's when the punishment of Allah comes because Allah doesn't, Allah has equated showing off to shirk. It's a category of shirk. And shirk is one of the worst things that you could do. Shirk means uh, ascribing partners to Allah. So I'm showing off like I did this. That means I'm not attributing to anybody. I'm attributing to myself that I was able to do this. No, you were not able to do this. You were only able to do this because Allah allowed you to do it. So you've forgotten Allah. The only time you can feel like this is if you've forgotten Allah. That's why we need to think of Allah when we, before we do the deed, while we're doing the deed, and also after doing the deed that, oh Allah, accept it. I've done it for you. So that's what he's saying. He says that you need Allah's clemency a lot more when you obey Him than when you disobey Him. Okay, why don't you need it when you disobey Him? You've done a sin. Well, after that, you do need forgiveness. That's another attribute. You need His forgiveness. Uh, you need His patience there as well. You need His uh, hilm as well. But usually what happens is this is, again, not speaking about somebody who's constantly doing bad deeds, that he's become so used to them, they've become second nature, they become his personality, they become him. He doesn't care. It's second nature, he just does it. They just keep doing it. It's become them. That's their personality now, that's their behavior. That's the way they function. It's become ingrained. He's not talking to that person. That person definitely needs a lot of hilm. But we're talking about people on the path who are concerned when they do end up committing a sin. A person who's concerned, if they do end up committing a sin, they're going to be broken. That's the person he's comparing it with. They're going to be guilty. They're going to be remorseful. They're going to be in a very, very sorry state. And they're already broken hearted that, Oh Allah, you need to help me. I've done this sin again. I've committed this wrong again. I've fallen again. I've stumbled. That's the person he's comparing. The person who does a good deed and then he starts showing off compared to the person who does a bad deed and feels really, 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 really bad about it. Now when you're feeling bad about it, then you can see that you're already connected to Allah. Because when you feel bad, why are you feeling bad? As long as you're not feeling bad because somebody else is going to find out. As long as Allah who's going to find out. That's another problem that can creep in here that we're worried about what other people will say but not what Allah says. It's okay. Allah doesn't do anything. But people, I can't, uh, you know, people don't uh, take prisoners. You know, they, they really murder you for these kind of things. So you understand what he's saying that these are for, this is for people on the path who are concerned about this thing that when they do a good deed, they still shaitan can make you feel like you want to show off with it. You want to ascribe it to yourself. You want to boast and uh, allow pride to set in. Uh, compared to the person who commits a bad deed and then he's just broken about it. So that's the comparison he's making. So for the person who does the good deed and starts to show off, that person needs Allah's forbearance, otherwise Allah will punish him. So let us look at this in a bit more detail now that we've understood it.
Ibn Ajiba he says that when you do a good deed that lays the foundation for you to elevate yourself and think of yourself as mighty why? because when you do a good deeds good deeds are high good deeds are elevating because they're, they're the deeds for Allah so then you see knowledge when you study when you study some good knowledge of the Quran Sunnah and so on or when you do a good deed, both of these are lofty factors. They're lofty worships. So what happens is shaitan uses them to make you feel lofty. Because you've done the good deed or because you learned something new. You've just had this wonderful class and he taught you something really, really important and really significant and profound that none of your family knows. This hadith or this spe special subtle understanding of this hadith, none of your friends know. Only I know it. You just come out of that class walking on air. And if you ever feel like that sometimes. So because of the loftiness of what you've learnt, or what you've just done, it makes you feel lofty and elevated. That's shaitan's way of making, of, of spoiling it now. So he says then, what happens is you start loving that for yourself. There's a shahwa and there's a desire and a pleasure that's attained for the nafs in doing that. The other thing is that from a third person, another person's perspective, when they see a person doing a lot of worship, don't they normally honor that person? Most people who are sound-hearted, right? Uh, not the mischievous, not those who hate good deeds and they feel guilty when they see somebody else. Like, why are you doing that for? We're talking about a lot of people who respect good deeds. Oh, mashallah, this guy always comes to salat. He's always in the first saf. He's always helping out. He's always donating. They're going to look at you with honor. There's ikram. There's respect that you're going to receive. So we suddenly start focusing on that. And then we've messed it up. Meaning the person doing the good deed because they're receiving all of this honor, they start focusing on that. Let me do more, I'll get more honor. I'll become a wali of Allah in the sight of people. I'll become the wali of people rather than the wali of Allah. Right? So people, يَلْحَظُونَ صَاحِبَ الطَّاعَةِ الظَّاهِرَةِ they look at this person with respect. They come and serve this person and they want to honor this person and they want to befriend this person. Feels good, doesn't it? Right. The problem is that there's a rule. Every time you, f you enjoy becoming greater in the sight of people, you will drop in the sight of Allah. Because your focus is wrong. Every time that you want to feel big, you know, uh, big and uh, bigged up, as they say, and greater in the sight of people, you, your focus is wrong now. This is going to be the problem with good deeds, that it could make you feel like that if you don't careful about one of these side effects of a good deed. These are one of the side effects of a good deed, a negative side effect. And once you know, then you can do something about it. It's just we need to know. That's what it is. Shaitan has various ways of doing it. As opposed to a bad deed. As opposed to a bad deed. When you do a bad deed, it makes you feel gutted. Makes you feel lowly. Makes you feel despicable. It makes you feel broken 
remorseful. And you don't want to show your face to people. You think like, subhanAllah, I'm so thankful that they don't know what, I'm, what I've just done. That they don't understand what's going through my mind. They don't see what I've done in privacy. Good job they don't know what I do when nobody's around. Otherwise, you know, what would they think? Then you've got a possibility of raising. Why are you thinking like this? You've got a possibility of being raised in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's why he's saying that any servant, while he's in a state of obedience, he's going to need his Lord's clemency and patience a lot more and his forgiveness and pardon a lot more than when he's doing a disobedience. Because when he's doing a good deed, then it can create this arrogance within him. And that, that particular arrogance creating good deed. So it's not all good deeds. It's the arrogance creating good deed is more despicable than that disobedience. Not every disobedience, but that disobedience which creates this lowliness and servitude and desire to be forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's talking about a particular good deed and a particular type of bad deed. In fact, he says, This particular good deed that made you show off is not even an obedience. It's actually a disobedience. And then he says that this disobedience that you just did, this sin that you ended up committing, that actually made you closer to Allah, that you feel, I need Allah's pardon, I made you closer to Allah, is actually not a disobedience. Don't get deceived by that. Let me do more of those and I'll just feel close to Allah and I'll enjoy myself and also feel close to Allah. No, that's not going to work. This is after the fact. You happen to do it and then you just felt so mean and so bad about it that I want to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So look, why is that better? Uh, ultimately, in hindsight, why that becomes better. And there has to be some kind of preparation of the heart for a person to feel like that after a bad deed. Which means if I do fail, and, I, and it's one of those weak moments, and I fail, then I felt so bad about this. You know, I stayed away from this for so many days, so many months, or whatever the case is, and then I've committed this. There's a hadith in which, uh, it's a hadith al-Qudsi. The Prophet ﷺ said that Allah says, I am uh, with those whose hearts are broken for my sake, not for the sake of the dunya. I am with those whose hearts are broken for my sake, meaning they're worried about me, of what I'm going to think about them. They're concerned about what perspective I'm going to have about them. They're concerned about the way I look at them now. That I did this bad deed, what a shameful thing, how embarrassing that is. What is Allah going to think about me? I am with those people. You make a dua at that time and your dua gets accepted. Subhanallah. Anybody who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with, because of this state that they've, uh, they've, uh, uh, that they've fallen into, that person is superior to a thousand obedient people whose obedience makes them far from Allah because they attribute it to themselves and they big themselves up because of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he inspired one of his anbiya alayhim salam to say to the people, Kulli ibadi as-siddiqeen la yaghtarru. Tell 
go and announce to my really truthful ones, those who are really truthful in their worship and everything to me, that they should not be deceived. They should not be deceived. They should not be in some kind of delusion because of the good deeds that they're doing. They have to be very careful that it doesn't lead them into these pitfalls. فَإِنِّي إِنْ أُكِمْ عَلَيْهِمْ عَدْلِي وَقِسْتِي أُعَذِّبُهُمْ غَيْرَ ظَالِمٍ لَهُمْ Because if I was to treat them and take them into account with my perfect justice and fairness, then I could completely punish them without oppressing them in the least because they must have some, uh, they must have some weakness in what they did and some shortcoming in what they did. Was their worship 100%? kind of worship are you giving me? So if I wanted to deal with them with absolute fairness that I'm going to punish you for any non-perfect action, then I could punish them and I'd be totally just in doing so without oppressing them. Because they can't give me something fully. And then he says that tell وَكُلِّ عِبَادِي الْخَاطِئِينَ لَا يَئِسُوا مِنْ رَحْمَتِي tell, tell my servants who make mistakes, who keep falling, that they should not be despondent of my mercy. Because ultimately there is no sin that is so big that I can't even forgive it. Meaning it's open for you to be forgiven. So one has to be very careful the way they look at the deeds that they do, good and bad. There's a way to turn good deeds into proper good deeds and not to allow them to become bad deeds in a sense. It's not that complicated. It just needs a bit of effort. Because Allah wants pure. Allah is tayyib. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is jameel. And He only likes the beautiful. And He only likes the pure. Let us not give Him the impure. And likewise, when one commits a sin, after the fact, then it's like, okay, I've committed this. Let me, let me feel the right way about this. A Shaykh Abu Zayd radiallahu anhu said, Tawbatul ma'asiyati wahida. Very simple, when you've done a sin, there's one tawbah that you do. I've done this sin, I've done this wrong, I've done this disobedience. There's a single, single type of, there's a single type of tawbah you have to do there. He says that if you've done a good deed, then you have to do a, hundred, a thousand different types of tawbah to make sure that you're not doing anything wrong in that because shaitan attacks you afterwards. He didn't want you to do the good deed, he wanted you to do a bad deed. Now that you've done the good deed, is going to cause a lot of confusion in your mind he's going to cause a lot of confusion in your mind about why you did it and what you're going to get out of it and how you are now La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah now look at the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam doesn't commit sins the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is this perfect worship that anybody could do would be the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's perfect worship why? because he knows Allah better than anyone else and he is the most perfect servant. So if there's somebody who can do the most perfect worship, it's, it's the Prophet ﷺ. However, he does the, one of the most superior forms of worship, which is Salat. And straight after the Salat, he says, Astaghfirullah, 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 three times. I seek forgiveness, Allah. I seek forgiveness in Allah. Three times. Why does he do that? After one of the loftiest forms of worship. That is the adab he's teaching us. He's teaching us, this is teaching us that you could have shortcoming, so do istighfar straight away, so that it doesn't make you feel bloated afterwards. That's if we know why we say istighfar. A lot of people do astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Afterwards they say Allahu Akbar as well, and they don't know why they're doing it. There's a, there's a special 
reason for all of these things. I could have made a mistake in this. I probably did make a mistake. It was short of perfection. That's why I'm making istighfar three times. I'm not doing istighfar three times to get more reward. That's what a lot of people think. That it's sunnah to do all of these adhkar after salat, three times istighfar is to get more reward. Well, you probably do get more reward. I'm not saying you're not. The real purpose of it, this is where people lose out. They don't know why they're saying istighfar. The reason you're saying is you should be thinking, I've just done these two or four rakats or three rakats of prayer. I probably made some mistake. Astaghfirullah. I seek refuge. I seek forgiveness, Allah, in the mistakes I made. How many of us think of that? It's more like, I have to read Astaghfirullah, Allahumma anta salam. These are all du'as I get reward, extra reward. There's bonus rewards on salat. No, there's more to, do it, more to it than that. It's literally to feel that. In fact, have you heard in the beginning of the uh, a khutbah and a bayan, uh, we start off as Allahum wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakkalu Essentially, what we do, that, that's not just some kind of rhetoric at the beginning. It's literally we're saying to Allah that uh, we're praising you and so on and we don't do disobedience and we don't do the, uh, the kufr and, 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 and so on. We're asking you for your help. And then we say, wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina. Have you heard that? Na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati amalina. And we are seeking refuge from the evils of the self. Because I'm in this place, I'm going to give you a khutbah, I'm going to give you a bayan, I'm going to give you a lecture. And I'm going to feel really good about it, that I'm standing here giving you a bayan, Allah has chosen me and not you. I'm better than you guys. La hawla wa la illa billah. So the speaker reminds himself at the beginning that I am seeking refuge from the evils of myself to make me feel this way. That it should not make me feel this way. And from my bad actions. If these people find out my bad actions, they won't even be sitting here, to be honest. So our system is so perfect. It's got everything built in, but I think we've just forgotten focusing on it. And most of it is just repetition. And it's just ritualistic it's become. where We've forgotten the reason for saying... Istighfar after prayer. Like, why do you say Astaghfirullah after prayer? It's not to just get extra reward. It's actually to seek forgiveness. And that is something one of our sheikhs said. I finished Hajj and I went to see him. He said, look first. Thank Allah that he allowed you to do the Hajj. Then straight after, seek forgiveness for any shortcomings in it. You want to thank Allah, Hajj is a big deal. All of these good deeds are big deeds, right? So thank you Allah, Alhamdulillah, all praises to Allah that you allowed me to do this, forgive any, any mistakes and shortcomings in this regard. رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ وَتُبْ عَلَيْنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ Ibrahim builds the house of Allah and says, رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا I've done the job, now accept it from me. And relent to us, relent to us. So that, that's, what, that, that, that's essentially what's going on here. So in that sense, when a person uh, who's religious and who's focused and they end up making a mistake and then after that they really feel bad about it and they feel really, really far from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so then they try to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that is proper servitude. That is exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. That is the approach He wants from us. When we commit wrongdoings. But the thing is that if we, uh, you can only feel like that if you prepare yourself. Because 
if you keep doing this every day, you're going to lose that. If, if you keep doing sins every day, you're going to lose that ability to feel remorse. Because eventually when you do something, enough times the taboo of it is lost. So then, you know, if it's the first time I've done a sin, I feel really bad about it. So I can actually feel emotionally broken. Now if I do it the next day, again I feel emotionally broken. I do it the third day, and then what shaitan does, he comes again and says, well, you're doing it every day, man. He's not going to forgive you anyway. <clears throat> you're messed up. Forget it. There's a lot of psychology. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of stress here. Right? There's a lot of challenges here. That's why um, we, 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 we know we're going to fall. <clears throat> right? But may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not allow us to fall too often. In fact, not at all. Yeah. Right? May Allah allow us not to fall at all. And whenever we do fall, then may Allah allow us to feel broken. So that even that fall can make us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that, that was what he said. I'm going to read to you what Shaykh Abdullah Gungohi now, how he explains this. He's got rather a lengthier commentary on this to explain this. He says, The excellence and loftiness of the servant are in his awareness that the actual goal of all worship is only Allah Most High. If you want to be lofty, the only way to get lofty is when you know that everything only has to be that the goal must be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most high and everything, nothing else should be in our mind. Thus, at all times and in all acts, his gaze must remain focused on Allah most high. As a beggar might solicit food from his benefactor. Like he's just, uh, the good beggars, they know how to really make their eyes and everything. Right? Like they make it seem like you're the only one who can do something for them. They know how to play that. Whether they do it sincerely or otherwise, they know how to make you feel as if you're the only one who can help them. Because they're, they're, they're tugging at the, uh, the heartstrings. His, uh, we need to do that sincerely with Allah. Otherwise you fake it until you make it. You make it, that's why you say you cry and you show that until you actually do feel that way. His actions, deeds, and even his existence are completely out of his sight. Meaning a human with his own actions, his deeds, and his existence are completely out of his sight. When he's got this special, excellent state, then he doesn't think about his own self. His reliance is only on Allah Most High that he made me do this, he allowed me to do this. The heart derives solace from only Allah, and the direction of his heart is only focused on him. There remains absolutely no trust in one's own efforts and plans. The contemptibility and the destruction of the servant are brought about when his attention turns to his own ego and he becomes pleased with his deeds as though he is in reality responsible for their creation and where he begins to value himself. When the servant develops this disposition, he becomes expelled and thrown out from the divine court and then he could even become accursed. Allah save us. Now understand that when the servant sins, he is in need of Allah's kindness. For if he is denied divine kindness, then Allah's punishment will overtake him. He therefore requests the divine kindness to avoid being apprehended and to secure pardon for his sins. Whereas the person who did the good deed, he's not worried about Allah's kindness. He just did the deed. I did it. Alhamdulillah. Great man. I did it. He's not focused on anything. 
Since obedience and worship are in fact divine pleasure, the issue of kindness does not arise in the servant's mind. When you do obedience, you're not thinking about Allah's kindness. You're like, I did the deed, man. That's what I'm supposed to do. I did it. Right? Kindness is perceived as necessary when an act is rendered in conflict with divine pleasure. However, very often the opposite should occur to the servant, i.e. the need for divine kindness at the time of obedience is greater than at the time of sin. Oh Allah, accept it. Oh Allah, we've just done this Ramadan, accept it. Accept it. The explanation of this paradoxical claim is as follows. It is natural disposition of the believer, the mu'min, to be raked by remorse after commissioning of a sin. He becomes overwhelmed by regret, grief and self-contempt. He despises and detests himself, his own self. He doesn't think of himself as anything. He thinks I'm very bad. He gains greater humility and he hastens to supplicate for forgiveness in the divine court. In this pitiful state, his gaze is not on his effort and deed of repentance. The attitude of complete dependence on Allah's kindness becomes ingrained in his heart. He is fully aware that apart from Allah's mercy, grace and kindness, there is no other refuge for him. This attribute that has, he has subsequently developed is the objective that is supposed to be cultivated at the state of excellence of a believer. Should get that through good deeds. On the other hand, sometimes after obedience and worship, the servant's gaze falls on his own deeds. I do so much work. I help so many people. I donate so much. He then becomes vain, considering himself an obedient servant and a pious worshipper, an abid. He feels that he has discharged Allah's rights. I've done, I've done my part. Hence, he believes that he must be rewarded as though his worship was characterized by excellence. In this state, his gaze is on his own efforts and he ceases to rely on Allah's grace and mercy. Therefore, it will not be surprising if Allah's wrath settles on him on account of his vanity and pride and he thus becomes the object of divine displeasure. On the occasion of this type of obedience, the servant is in greater need of divine kindness than his need at the time of sinning. So that's what Ibn Ata'illah meant, meant in that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, not have any bad deeds, that, that, you know, however they are. But we ask Allah for good deeds that we actually understand and recognize are coming from Allah, that get accepted from Him and where our hearts are not part of it. May Allah give us that tawfiq. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam jalali wa اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين <تصفيق> يا غفار يا فتاح يا ستار يا حفيظ يا سلام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا لطيف يا لطيف يا لطيف اللهم التف بنا اللهم التف بنا اللهم اغفر لنا وارحمنا وعافنا وهدنا ورزقنا الله يأسك يو في يوسبشال مرسيز عن ذيس كاثرين O oh Allah, we ask you for your special generosity, for your kindness. O oh Allah, for your mercy. O oh Allah, for your forgiveness. O oh Allah, wipe our sins clean. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, remove all of our bad habits and our bad deeds. O oh Allah, <coughs> protect us from everything which is bad. O oh Allah, protect us from all which is wrong. Protect us from everything which is blameworthy. Protect us from humiliation, especially of this world and the hereafter. O oh Allah, forgive us our wrongdoings, our laziness, our distractions, our delay, our procrastinations. 
O oh Allah, and our transgressions and sins. O oh Allah, our violations. O oh Allah, we ask you for protection. And we ask you for forgiveness. We ask you for purity. O oh Allah, we ask you for taqwa. We ask you for your fear. O oh Allah, we ask you for your reverent fear. We ask you for your love. O oh Allah, we ask you for consciousness and for your clemency. O oh Allah, we ask you for your clemency and your forbearance. O oh Allah, allow us to do the good deeds which are purely for you. O oh Allah, protect us from all bad deeds. O oh Allah, turn all of our bad deeds into good ones. O oh Allah, turn all of our bad deeds into good deeds for us. O oh Allah, reward these authors. Reward these people who have taught us so much all the way up to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Send your abundant blessings on the Messenger Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And O oh Allah, allow us to be in his company on the Day of Judgment. O oh Allah, make the best moment when we stand in front of you. O oh Allah, and make the best days of our life, the final days of our life. O oh Allah, grant us good health. O oh Allah, with everything that you have given us, we thank you because you have given us so more than so many others in this world. O oh Allah, we ask that you do not make it a burden for us. You do not make it a trial for us. You do not make it a temptation for us towards the wrong. O oh Allah, protect us and our families, our children, our progeny until the Day of Judgment from all the evils which are out there and all the, all the evils which will come about. And O oh Allah, we ask that you keep us firm and steadfast on your faith. And O oh Allah, make our entire progeny the coolness and gladness of our eyes. And O oh Allah, allow us to be a coolness and gladness for your Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's eyes. And O oh Allah, allow us uh, allow him allow him to be happy with us on the day of judgment. O oh Allah, you be happy with us both in this world and the hereafter. Make us the way you want us to be. O oh Allah, make us the way you want us to be. Our situation is dire, Ya Allah. We wake up in the morning with good intention, but by the evening we have lost ourselves. O oh Allah, we start off good in the evening sometimes by the morning we have corrupted ourselves oh Allah we start off close and we go far and sometimes we go so far we don't come back oh Allah grant us restraint grant us the ability to withhold ourselves from that which is wrong and which is blameworthy which is problematic which is disobedience oh Allah oh Allah we ask you for the right understanding oh Allah bless all of those who uh, prepare these majalis and who allow them to happen who uh, who uh, organize them and who assist in them and who attend them and oh Allah make it beneficial for all of us and oh Allah allow us to all be accepted for some kind of service and khidmah for your deen along with all of our families oh Allah keep us on the straight path oh Allah what a wonderful path that you have given us keep us on the straight path there are so many distractions today there are so many other things that we can be doing and that seek our attention and that try to capture us and that try to take us and oh Allah we ask that you keep us on the straight path the path that you love and make your obedience beloved in our hearts and oh Allah we ask you for Jannat al-Firdaus so that we can see you oh Allah and we can be in the company of your messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that 
uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules. And at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind, you can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.